Back here in TMT time, I'm Evan Rothstein, your host, a member of the Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group here at Arnold and Porter. Today, I am delighted to welcome in a special guest, Ian O'Neill, the General Counsel and Vice President of Legal at a company called WellTalk. Ian, welcome into the podcast. Thank you, Evan. Great to be here. We are very happy to have you. We're happy to get the so-called outside perspective on issues facing the tech data healthcare industry. And so I'm gonna jump right into it if that's okay with you and let you introduce yourself, tell our listeners how you got to be a general counsel of a health tech company. Absolutely, um, that's great. So my name's Ian O'Neill. I, um, as Evan said, I run the legal these days in-house at a technology um, consumer engagement platform company called WellTalk based out of Denver, Colorado, but with offices kind of across the nation, where, you know, a, about, you know, three to 400 people, um, 100 million or so in revenue technology platform that does consumer engagement and activation primarily, um, with a focus and a deep focus that's institutional on the wellness and healthcare industry. So most of our clients tend to be in that industry, which means we have responsibility for an immense amount of data, including, you know, kind of full PHI files that we maintain in compliance with HIPAA and use on behalf of our clients for virtually every um, health kind of industry active person in the country, somewhere around 290 million people, which captures pretty much everyone that's in the healthcare system somewhere in the country. Um, As for how I got here and my prior history for Better or worse, my past crimes, Evan, was I was originally on your side of the table in private practice for you know about 16, 17 years, primarily in a technology transaction, technology media transactions group at three different law firms, um, three national, one of which was you know a Silicon Valley-based premier international law firm practicing for years. Then about three years ago now, a client that I had worked with for about six or seven years at that point, since it was two founders with an idea out of LA, um, actually approached me to go in-house and be their general counsel. Um, I love these guys, love the company. I had been deeply involved in figuring out how this particular company, um, company called Omaze, O-M-A-Z-E.com, for a shout out to those guys, could operate and set up a unique uh, kind of system for philanthropic fundraising using celebrities and online sweepstakes. They um, had grown substantially to the point where the general counsel was a good idea. I went in-house there for a while just because I love the guys. It was a commute to LA and I live in Denver and have a couple of young kids. So after being there for a little while, I was fortunate enough to receive an invitation to come in-house and do the same thing here at WellTalk based much more locally. Um, even prior to the pandemic, my commute was cut down by about a thousand miles, and now it's cut down to about 20 feet. So that's that's my circular route to coming in-house from your side of the table. When you say that, Ian, it sounds like you're going down to your mom's basement to work. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not far off. I go down to my basement, but uh, as with all of us uh, married guys, right, it really is my wife's house and not mine. So I'm going down to my wife's basement. Yeah, we ju- we're, we're, we're renters, basically. 
Exactly. All right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, so well talk, you talked about some consumer engagement. And so what, what are some of the primary sort of tech type legal issues that you face now at WellTalk? So we are actually at a really exciting intersection of a bunch of different legal issues. Um, when I joined WellTalk, we were kind of the premier wellness platform, but really was using the various different media channels and communications models to be able to get people to do things that were good for their health, um, either on behalf of clients who were along the lines of you know, employers or health groups that really wanted to help bend the mobility curve and get people to do things that were good for them. We've kind of realized that we had this incredible technology platform, this incredible amount of data, and this incredible um, ability to reach out and engage and activate consumers through just about every means of communication. And so we also do it now for other industries and not just well uh, wellness. But what that means is that while it seems like a really kind of simple idea, we have a million different Venn diagrams of legal issues overlapping. So for example, let me give you an example. We may have somebody that we want to take an action as simple as you know, going for a walk on a daily basis to bring down their kind of uh, their glucose levels or their blood sugar or be more healthy in terms of managing their well-being and their mental health. In order to do that, we may send that person regular text messages. We may send that person emails. Um, we may even make an IVR phone call, you know, a robo-dialed phone call or a robocall. We have a platform, a full online platform that person can sign into. They can track their activities. They can track their steps and they may earn rewards. You're going for a walk 20 times over a month may earn you, you know, points towards a $50 or $100 gift card of your choosing. So, so are these, are these white labels? So is it, if I'm at a, working at a company and we partner with WellTalk, who, who am I getting the texts or the robocalls? So our is? platform is cafewell.com. Okay. And it may be from them or it may be white labeled from the actual sender itself, right? It may be white labeled from, if you are Acme Inc's employee, it may be from the Acme Inc HR department that's sending you. So as you can see, just laying that out, it seems like a very simple idea, right? It seems like a really simple idea of we have a technology platform that's integrated into your benefits hub where I can sign in and I can get free stuff for doing things that I should do that are good for my health and get education about things like that. And someone's going to remind me to do it. Very simple concept when you describe it that way. But from a legal perspective, there is so much moving around at any given time that we have to deal with. So for example, privacy issues, we have um, obviously the core privacy issues with respect to, do we have consents to reach out to people via text in compliance with TCPA? Do we have consents if necessary to, you know, kind of share the information about what they do back with whoever our end client is? Um, how are we encrypting the information appropriately and handling it appropriately in accordance with HIPAA if the information somehow you know constitutes PHI because the client in question is a covered entity. All right. So for that. listeners at home not up to speed on your acronyms, PHI is personal health, health information. information. Yep. Right. There you go. Thank you. So under HIPAA, right. Exactly. We have PI, you'll hear me refer to personal information, PII, which is personally identifiable information. 
and PHI, which is protected health information. And uh, think of them as concentric circles of protection and various laws that lean into what you can and can't do and how you can and can't share that information backwards and forwards. In the last two or three years, um, and especially in the course of the last year over the kind of events we've all experienced through the pandemic and the shift towards people being kind of home-based and it being more important to reach out and market to people or communicate with people or touch people that way, we've seen an explosion. Um, privacy law in general, throughout you know, the entire time I've been practicing as a privacy attorney and a technology attorney has always been a dynamic area you know, for the last 20, 25 years. But in the last year, it seems like there's a new development pretty much every month. You know, for example, the TCPA world has had two rather seismic developments just in the last two months. Um, All right, well, let's pause seen... there because I want to know what those are. What, what happened in TCPA? <laughs> and what is the TCPA for our listeners who may not know at home? Gotcha. So the TCPA is the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. And that's a rather kind of outdated, um, clunky old law from 1991 that was originally designed for to stop people receiving, you know, kind of buckets and buckets and buckets of unwanted faxes, which you can kind of see how outdated this is at that point, but it was really directed at faxes, out, or to stop receiving, you know, kind of being absolutely overwhelmed with phone calls from marketers and scam, scam artists and that type of area. Well, I don't know because it's 2021 and I'm still getting phone calls on my cell phone now. <laughs> and actually they're it's masked. They're, they look like my wife's phone number. So I, if I don't look close, I pick them up and it's like, hello, you've been well, chosen you for this that. award. It's funny you mentioned that because I said that there had been two seismic changes in the last few months for TCPA. Um, they actually, one of those changes arises out of a rather kind of seismic law that was passed about a year and a half ago now, which is designed to, among other things, stop that exact issue. Um, you know, Shake and Stir, or Stir Shaken, um, is kind of, it came out of the Trace Act a couple of years ago. And there's, there's a rule in place that everybody now should be identifying accurately in their caller ID exactly who the caller is and to try and stop kind of that spoofing of fake identities the, so those are the the tell it when it says telemarker or pot potential spam when i get those calls exactly so that's part and parcel of this shifting landscape um and that goes back as i said about even more 18 months but that's all coming in this year and one of the fcc one of the two fundamental changes where i was referencing that have happened in the last two months is a an order the fcc issued on the last day of 2020, they just squeaked it in on the radar under that exact law. So for example, right, in the world of making phone calls and a text message is really a phone call um, for an analysis purpose under the TCPA, it's a call. But in that world, lots of things have changed. One of those things is exactly what you mentioned. The Trace Act um, pushed out a bunch of different requirements. One of the requirements is this new protocol whereby a marketer or a caller making a call has to have a secure handshake in place so that the party receiving the call gets an accurate caller ID and it can't just be spoofed and to be pretend to be your wife. 
that's one of the developments with you know kind of everybody who makes any calls on behalf of third parties or has call centers been wrestling with. Um, another one that ties into that, for example, is there's new developments and new rules around how often per day you can receive those calls. So going forward, starting once the OMB approves it and six months after that, when it gets implemented, you should only be getting a, a, a limited number of those calls per month. Um, there's buckets of different categories those calls fall into, but the general gist of it is most commercial calls will be limited to about three per month, pre, uh, three per month or three per 30 day period um, if they use a, a robo dialer. So if they've got an artificial pre-recorded voicemail at the start or the message is artificial and pre-recorded, you'll start to see those hopefully cut down and diminish. That's one of the That's big good changes. news, I think, because I got a call this morning from my credit card company <laughs> telling me that there's issues with my credit card. And I thought to myself, no, there's not. That this is crazy. <laughs> and I, I didn't say anything and they just keep talking. And that, that I don't want this ever. Three a month, I guess, perhaps I can deal with. Well, and the problem is with all of these things, right? Companies like WellTalk, we are you know, kind of absolutely committed to complete compliance. I have an entire team uh, that works for me and works on that. So we will be following the laws, but that's not necessarily going to stop the scam artist caller from a call center offshore who is going to keep hitting you with those calls. It will diminish the number of legitimate calls you'll receive, uh, so the overall volume. But obviously, if you're running a less than legal enterprise, you're probably not going to be complying with any laws regardless of what they are. So uh, there's that. And then you know, um, there's always been rules under the TCPA with respect to sending messages out and sending texts out with reminders and systematic messages that there actually are values for person receiving it. There was a new Supreme Court case just last month that kind of reversed and did a 180 on years of understanding regarding what constitutes an auto dialer, which is a technology made to send those text messages. And that's obviously something companies like mine have to keep up with and figure out not just what the change in the letter of the law is, but what the best and most responsible approach is with respect to both our clients and their you know, extremely valuable members. Uh, companies like myself, we, we're not doing unsolicited marketing for unrelated people, right? You are communicating with employees or valued members or people that you insure. So you have to always be kind of keeping in mind what's the best for that relationship. But that's an example there. So I think we got on a little rambling sidebar there. So um, in terms of bringing it back and focus, what can I, uh, how can I focus it back in for you? There? Yeah, look, this is a podcast. It's the whole point of the podcast is to <laughs> ramble and get off topic. There is no topic. That's the whole point. Well, awesome. I'll, I'll ask so, you, go ahead. I was going to say, so I think the entire, just to wrap that up and bring it in, the entire point of what it's like being in-house in a company like this is you have to constantly be keeping track of these different Venn diagrams. Those were just two small examples of what's, you know, kind of happening on a day-to-day -day basis. We also have to, another throw, uh, quick example for our writers, we can talk about text messaging and phone calls all we want, um, but then there's layers of things like HIPAA of the CCPA that layer on top of that would say, hey, it doesn't matter if you're doing the text messaging part correctly, or if you're doing the communications part, email part correctly, um, 
you still have to not send out any PHI because that's text messaging is inherently unencrypted and you can't send PHI out in an unencrypted format. So that changes all of that. The CCPA maybe you know, has various rules along the lines of, well, if it's under 16, the person has to have parental consent or if the person uh, is a California resident, they have the right to tell you not to do certain things or not to collect certain pieces of information or not to share so, uh, certain information up with your client, if that could be considered a sale. So this is just a constant overlap of different kind of regulatory and privacy laws that we have to make sure that everything we do is perfectly lining up and being compliant. That was actually a good segue, Ian. It was almost like we talked about this beforehand. <gasps> <laughs> I, I want to get into privacy a little bit because we had uh, the privacy lawyer that I work with here at AMP and in our TMT group on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and she was mentioning the new laws that are now coming out on the state level, including Absolutely. here in Colorado. How do you Absolutely. stay up to date with all the changes in the privacy laws and these layers that you're talking about? Um, well, each other. so there's, there's, there's a bunch of different ways. I will say in-house, it can be a little bit more of a challenge than it was having the kind of resources of a thousand lawyer law firm behind me back in private practice. So I will give a shout out to, you know, firms like AMP that you guys are invaluable. You know, um, yes. you know the Keep notices coming. you send out, the client updates you send out, those are absolutely the lifeblood of in-house kind of attorneys even if they are just kind of a quick half pager that we read in 10, 15 seconds in the morning, they're fantastic for letting us know, um, you know, what we should go and Google, what we should go and research, what we should go and look up because we, of course, in-house, right? One of the bigger challenges of being in-house as a lawyer is we have to be as cost efficient as possible, which means we don't have million dollar, Lexus, Nexus, daily update subscriptions and all those beautiful tools that we used to have in the law firm world. Are you listening, so, business development marketing folks? <laughs> this is what right. we want. So, so yes, and, and it doesn't even have to get too detailed, just quick, like, hey, by the way, this law changed, go look it up, um, are the most of, of kind of invaluable tools we get in the morning. Um, I you also- You can keep going in, I'm just gonna send out some updates while you're talking. <laughs> I also have, um, kind of a, a way of allocating among my different team members areas that they need to be responsible for keeping up on. I have one very, very experienced, excellent senior attorney, for example, that I charge with keeping up on changes to, you know, kind of a ramifications and requirements of various contractual clauses. And she's kind of my contracting guru. Um, I was fortunate enough for a while to have a very good privacy attorney that I charged with keeping up on privacy matters. And we, you know, it's it's more important than ever in-house to have knowledge transfer going on because you don't get to see the million different scenarios that you do when you're representing a million different clients. You can it's very easy to get stuck in the, well, this is how we do it in-house, and so we're just gonna keep doing it. And you have to be very conscious of trying to keep up with asking yourself is that the right way to do it? And have I checked recently to make sure that nothing has changed in the law on how we do it? Inertia and habit and institutional kind of, this is how we've always done it, is very much a real thing, but it wasn't in private practice. Um, but as to how do we keep up on all those laws? 
a lot of the same ways that you would keep up in a law firm, but in a more kind of improvised manner, right? I, for example, have a, I still have a habit that I developed back in my private practice days of getting up and the first 30 minutes of my day is always spent having my morning coffee and reading through every kind of law 360 area or other kind of free update I can to just skim and see what has changed that might affect us. Your clients are going to be very quick. Uh, clients is different in-house. I mean, clients buying our software platform, not legal clients, are going to be very quick to ask you for, hey, this is changing. What do you guys think about this? I you know, kind of uh, find myself, it's interesting, in-house we have a quasi kind of counsel function that comes up occasionally, which is a client saying, your product does this. I heard through the grapevine that there's a new law about anybody who does that. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, so and like Virginia passed a new privacy law. Do you have to stay up on top of things like that? Absolutely. And Colorado has one that is 99% certain to pass. Nevada, the same thing I just saw last week. Nevada's privacy bill is pretty much on a solid fast track. And then the CCPA, obviously, we had to go through a large process, for example, last year to get our platform in compliance and uh, with the CCPA and you know that means actually building functionality and in-house it becomes even more important right in the law firm world it's very much it's theoretical and then it becomes practical as in you tell other people that this is the problem and this is what we need this is the requirements in-house it becomes very material very quickly because there are costs associated with it so for example the CCPA um, CCPA in the law firm. You have to tell great. our listeners what CCPA is. Uh, California Consumer Protection Act. It was passed a couple of years ago and it came into effect kind of over the last 18 months or so. It's uh, really kind of become uh, a major issue for almost any platform or any entity that collects data and potentially sells or markets or passes along that personal information for a California resident. Um, there's a lot of different kind of nuances that go into it, but basically think of it as being, you know, the first US version of the European GDPR law that passed that said, hey, data really belongs to the consumer, not to you, the company. So they should have the right to tell you what to do with it. And California was the first of the avant-garde to pass that. And the laws you referenced, Evan, the Virginia law uh, that did pass and is coming to, into effect at the end of next year, the Colorado law that will pass and will come into effect at the end of next year, they're all variations of the same thing. It's this new concept that data, especially personal information, really belongs to the individual, not to the company. And so an individual should have the right to say what to do with it. Um, so for example, in the CCPA, if you have data that you collect on a California resident, then you have certain things that you need to do. You know, they can they can uh, request that you fix some data if they think it's inaccurate. They can request that you delete it. They can request that you opt them out of sharing their data in certain circumstances. And again, this is where that overlap becomes important, right? Because PHI is under, covered under HIPAA. And so that's exempt from a, from a CCPA. So you start to have to in-house kind of keep track of all these. But the real important part of in-house, and this is the real thing that you need to add value has every everybody point of view. lean into your microphones because Ian just said a real important <laughs> thing twice in a row. This is the nugget. This is why you've right. listened the whole time. Is you have to get you have to get the answers and you have to figure out what that's going to do to your to your technology 
as soon as possible because there are real costs involved. You know, when it, when it comes to the law does X, Y, and Z, that's nice. But what it really boils down to is the law does X, Y, and Z. So we need to spend, you know, this many hours time of our developers or programmers to make our website do this. And that costs money. That, that costs money. It costs money in terms of, you know, licensing and new technology and they'll do that. It costs money in terms of um, development time. Every developer could be doing something different. It costs money in terms of product. And most companies, you know, we're no different than any other technologies company, has a product development mechanism in place. Whether it's, you know, agile development uh, kind of schema, whether it's Scrum, whether it's some other uh, kind of method they have put in place for managing how they deal with product development uh, demands. And they all have timetables. And they are usually... For companies like us, they can be a year, 18 months out, but we have planned exactly what each product development increment will include. So to get on the calendar and to get this out in time to meet statutory requirements, your best and highest value in this area as an inside counsel is make it as easy as possible for your product and your development teams to know exactly what it is they have to do and what your platform or website has to do as early as possible so that you don't find yourself being one screaming 60 days before the law comes into effect, drop everything and do this for me when you're asking them to drop things that are revenue generating as opposed to things which, um, which we do in legal, which are you know, risk abating and are not necessarily immediately revenue generating, putting aside the kind of getting contracts closed and getting money in the door. In-house, the biggest difference, right, that I've had to wrestle with is in a law firm where I was for many years before this, the money comes from your time. So you are a revenue generator. Once you're in-house, the money comes from the platform you're selling and the product and the development team are putting out and what clients are paying for. And so you have to always bear in mind that when you are demanding something as much as it abates a risk, it takes away from the immediate revenue generating means of production. You're no longer the means of production. I love it. You guys should pay attention. That was terrific. I have one last question for you. And that is, sounds like there's a lot of patchwork of privacy laws. They're going state by state. What are the odds that we're going to get a nationalized or a federal privacy law like the one that you mentioned in over in Europe? So um, that's been a question right, that we've wrestled with for as long as I've been a privacy lawyer. If you'd asked me this 10 years ago, I would have had a very different answer than I do today. 10 years ago, I would say it's not going to happen. Too many variations between the states. Um, the wave is building. Uh, I think my analogy is I think that it's almost inevitable. Um, we already have national schemes like HIPAA for PHI. Um, uh, the FCRA for uh, for credit reports, and I think we're getting we're reaching the stage that the credit reporting industry reached a couple of decades ago, where the patchwork of credit reporting laws were becoming too expensive for the various credit reporting bureaus back before we had credit reporting agencies to keep up with. So a national law that preempts the patchwork of state laws becomes a business necessity 
rather than just a something to fight. And I think we're reaching that stage, right? I think Nevada passes, California's already passed, Virginia's already passed, Colorado passes. There are, last count I saw, 12 of us that I was reading about a couple of weeks ago that are in the works um, at various stages, whether it's actually well enough developed to be a bill or nascent stages. I think the difficulty of dealing with a patchwork is going to make it a business necessity that we have to have a federal law at some point. And the reality is most of these require the same setup. So for example, GDPR and CCPA, once you've done the product development work to have the functionality to allow consumers to do this, it becomes a kind of a incremental update to add extra states. So the initial resistance I think is broken and I, I don't see a world in which we don't have a national law within the next decade. Um, I think every industry is going to clamor for it. Awesome. Ian, thank you so much for being a guest on TMT Time. That was terrific. Look forward to having you back on here. Everyone download, like, you know, the spiel. Love us. We look forward to talking with you all next time. Thanks, Ian. Thank you so much, Evan.